we're starting a brand new series called Love Dates and Heartbreaks. And this series is for anybody, whether you're a student that's trying to figure out your dating life or you're in college looking what that looks like in the next season of your life or you're about to be engaged or you want to be engaged and what does romantic love look like in the most healthy ways. Maybe you're married and you're trying to navigate marriage Or maybe you were married and now you're not married and you've been thrown back into the messy dating world and it's way different than it was 20 years ago and it's more complex and you just can't quite figure it out. This series is for anyone, anyone that wants romantic love in a healthy way in their lives. And this is really good because for me it allows me to talk about one of the things that breaks my heart. Now I've said this to you if you've hung around Lifehouse very long, that you should figure out what breaks your heart and then speak into it. And one of the things that breaks my heart as a pastor doing what I do is the simple thing of watching people make relationship decisions that undermine their relationships. This breaks my heart. When it comes to dating, when it comes to marriage, life is so complicated. But when we make bad decisions, relationship decisions, it makes life even more complicated. And you know this, life is complicated enough by itself. And so from my advantage point, and I have made many, many mistakes in my life, but as I watch people from my vantage point, when they complicate their lives, I think this, have you thought that through? Have you thought through where this is going to take you? Or have you seen that work out for anybody else? I mean, I know it works out in Netflix, you know, and The Bachelor, and in love romance novels, but have you ever seen this happen and work out in real life on the path that you're taking? And sometimes I think, and you've thought this, when you see someone undermine their own happiness, has no one warned you? Has no one talked to you about this? And many times people say, well, yeah, my mama talked to me about it. My friends have talked to me about it. My dad said something to me about it. I just, I don't want to listen. And it breaks my heart to see people put themselves in a place that undermines their happiness, their future relationships, and their current relationships. And you know who else is ex- I'm excited for in this series over the next six weeks as we walk through this? For the people that are in a dating relationship, but they're kind of serial daters, and that idea of dating is an old-fashioned word for some. Like, we're, we're connecting with the opposite sex so we can have a hookup, so we can, you know, get somewhere sexually, or maybe just have another emotional high or an emotional frill. And I would just say to you, I don't want you to go down those roads because you're hurting you, And you're hurting others. And I don't want you to hurt you. And I certainly don't want you to hurt other people. And somebody will say to me, because I've been told this before, but yeah, but what if it's consensual, Matt? What if two people are just doing those things and it's just consensual? See, I don't want you to have consensual hurt either. And the other thing I don't want for anybody in our culture, in our world, in our town, is I I don't want you to be a liar for life. This is pretty strong language, but I don't want you to be a liar for life. Because someday, you're going to want to tell your story to somebody. You're going to want to tell your story to someone you care about. And where you've been and what you're doing now, relationally and sexually and morally, is going to be a permanent part of your future story. And someday, somebody's going to want to know your story. And because of your story, you're going to be tempted to lie. And ladies in the room, women, come on. You know, men lie about this stuff, don't they? And you know women, or maybe you are one of those women that you found out way later about what was going on in his life. And then it left brokenness and child support that you didn't know about. And you didn't even have a choice in that. You were just stuck with it. You didn't tell her. And here's why we don't tell you, ladies. 
And ladies, here's probably why you don't tell us, but here's why we don't tell you. Because this is an old-fashioned word, we're ashamed of where we've been and what we've done. But instead of you know, being a liar for life, what I want everybody, men, women, women, students, I want my own children, I want us to be able to tell a good, good story. I want you to be able to tell the story that you're walking through a department store with your spouse and you run into somebody you used to date. And men, instead of diving into the toy aisle and hiding under a pile of Legos because of what you once did, and maybe you've been tempted to do that when you see people from your past that you used to date, I want you to be able to say hi to that lady or hi to that gentleman. And when you walk away, I want them to say, he was a good guy. It didn't work out. We weren't meant to be, but he was a really good guy. He was an honorable guy. I want want to be said about you ladies that she was a woman of integrity, And maybe your story is like this. Hey, listen, in my 20s, listen, I kind of went off the rails and I kind of lived loose and I was, you know, a little more free than I wish. Or maybe at 40, I got divorced and me and the gals, we just got ramped up and we went a little crazy. But then I made a decision. This is a good story. Then I made a decision to rewrite my story, to turn my life and my relationships in a place that was healthy and whole and tell a story that in the end was rewarding for me in the person I ended up with. And for all of us, but especially the men in the room, I don't want you to be someone's regret. I told my sons this their whole life. I would look at them and say, boys, I don't want you to be someone's regret. When some young lady talks about her life's greatest regret, I don't want your name to come up. I don't want you to be in her top 10 regrets or top 100 regrets. I don't want you to be someone's regret. And I tell my sons what I'm telling you. What you're doing now, you're deciding if you're going to be someone's greatest regret. And you don't want that. And ladies, you don't want that. But men, if I could just lean in a little harder to get us kind of set up. I don't want you to be a hypocrite. And you may say, well, Matt, what do you mean? How would I be a hypocrite? Here's how a lot of us men can be hypocrites. If someone did to your sister... Or if someone treated your sister the way you treat the women in your life, you would be tempted to take that someone out in the woods and do something very bad to them, wouldn't you? But that's hypocritical. Because that's how you are treating the women in your life. And you don't want to be a hypocritic. If someone treated your single mom or your aunt or your daughter the way you treat the women in your life, you would be tempted to do something very bad to them. And we don't want to live in double standards In fact, the the biggest thing I hear about why people don't want to come to church is it's just full of hypocrites. I totally get that, and sometimes I agree with that. We don't want to be hypocrites ourselves in these ways. Now, ladies, let me just say something to you that I'm a little little nervous about saying because I've never been a woman, I promise. I've never done that. So I'm a little, you know, worrisome to talk to women directly about this, but know this from a dad's heart, a pastor's heart. I don't want you to ever be a commodity And most of the time, not all the time, most of the time, the choice, whether you're a commodity or not, is your choice. You know what a commodity is? It's something that's bought and sold and traded, and when it's used up, it's discarded by the people that have it. And I don't want you ever to be a commodity. You were not created to be a commodity. And I want you to feel immense value and immense preciousness from your heavenly father, but I also want you to feel that worth from the men in your life that they would treat you like the most precious thing in the world. I want that for us. I want that for you. And Men, I I want you to step up. Here's an old-fashioned word. I want you to be a gentle 
man. Because being a gentleman is powerful. Self-control is powerful. Deferring to someone else's needs and wants is powerful. Kindness is powerful. And ladies, you want more gentle men in your life. And I hope you never get accustomed to men not being gentle. I hope that never becomes okay in you. And in this place, this is where our culture clashes with where we're going in this series. Now, for years, I've told you, it's not my job to be the culture police. I'm not angry at culture, but we do realize culture just doesn't help in these areas of our lives. And in this series, I'm gonna challenge us to think different. I I need you to know, if you're joining us for the first time online or in the room, this is gonna be challenging. And if you're coming back to church because you heard we're doing a relationship series and you know maybe someone told you there's gonna be like a magic wand that's gonna make it easy for all your relationships to be easy, it's not gonna be. But I think it's gonna be a difference maker if we can walk through this together and let it change us. And so I want to talk about two myths to get us going. And it's two myths that when you hear them and you think about them, you're going to go, those are just ridiculous myths, except for the fact that most of us buy into them. And for most of us, it drives how we think and how we make decisions. And the first myth is just this right person myth. And the myth is not that there's not a right person for you, right? But the myth is this. The right person myth is that once you meet the right person, everything will just be all right. And all the married people in the room go, well, that's not true. We found that right away because I thought he was the right person. And now he just smells and he's losing his hair. So that's not true. Everything is not all right. But what you do between now and finding the right person will determine something very, very important. And if we continue... If you continue, if we continue to play around, treat guys or treat girls, treat men, treat women immorally, you know, misuse our sexuality, we, we think I can just then, when I get there, meet the right person, I'll just change. I haven't met him yet, so I'm just kind of going to do these things. I'm going to have these things. But when I meet him, everything is going to be different. And, and if you're a married person, you'd say this, well, I met him or I met her, but now I kind of feel like they're not the right person, so, so I must have chosen the wrong person. And so what I'm going to do now, it's my conclusion, this is how our culture reacts to this, I'm going to go looking for the next right person. And you know, you, we, we hear that and we go, that's ridiculous, but our thinking is fueled by this, our decisions are fueled by this. And when I'm happy with the wrong person, I'm just going to find the right person. And here's what we would say in our culture, that the right person once you find them, everything will just be fine. And now listen, I, I'm not saying there's not wrong people for you and for me. I mean, there's some young men that if they come knocking on my door for my daughter and I think they're the wrong person, I'm going to introduce them back to the door with it still shut. That's my whole strategy as a father, right? But this is how we think. Once I meet the right person, all those bad habits will just go away. I mean, I'll just quit looking at pornography once I meet her, men. Like, that's just going to fade away. And what we find over and over and over is that is not what happens. Maybe for you ladies, you know, the insecurity will just fade once, you know, Mr. McDreamy comes along. I won't be insecure anymore. 
for men and women. It's like, I won't have these bad financial spending habits. I won't have those other habits that I hope no one finds out about because when I meet her, when I meet him, it's just all going to get fixed. And there's this weird thing that we buy into that in the moment. And if you're married, this is an idea that fuels your fantasies. Married people, have you ever thought this? If I could just go back 20 years or 10 years or 50 years and not marry the one I married but married that other gal, then my life would just be right. You would never admit it out loud, but we've all had those thoughts. That is a myth. See, the right person myth, we miss this idea that there's more to a satisfying relationship than finding or being Found And we don't hear this in our culture. And do you know why we don't hear this in our culture? This does not make for good movies, does it? You know what makes for a good movie? When a really good-looking guy and a really beautiful woman, they get together and you're watching the movie and you go, oh, they're going to fall in love. And then you spend the next 90 minutes watching them fall in love. But you knew right away, that's a good movie. That's a good novel. That's a good Netflix series, Right? But that's what entertains us. Can I tell you what it takes to fall in love? This is, this is just profound, I'm telling you. It's so intuitive. You know what it takes to fall in love? It takes a pulse, doesn't it? I mean, if you are breathing, you can fall in love. It is so easy. Do you know what is difficult to do? What's difficult to do is to stay in love. And that's what we're going to try and figure out in this series. The second myth is simply the promise myth. And the promise myth is if I just need a really good promise for a relationship to be healthy. And the promise myth says this, that a promise replaces the need for preparation. You know, you come together and you have commitment and you have a promise and you have a vow. And, you know, it may surprise you that I'm saying this as a pastor, but we think that's what creates a great relationship. And we've seen this. Two people stand on an altar and they say, I do for better and for worse. And it's so beautiful and it's overwhelmingly good. And then they have a party and we think that vow and that party is what makes you a new person. The truth is you show up on that day and make that vow and have that party and you're the exact same person you were the day before and you'll be the same day person the day after because it's just three days of time. And here's the frightening part. Your fiance is the same person also. And I know when we think about it that way, you, you go and I go, why do we believe that? But we do. See, the promise myth, it leads us down the road not to understand that promises are no substitute for preparation. In every, every area of our life, we do not believe that we can do without preparation except relationships. Think about this. Academics, athletics, in the medical field, do you want a surgeon that walks into your pre-op surgery room and says, hey, we're going to do massive heart surgery on you. I need you to know I'm promising you I'm going to do a good job, but I have never done this before and don't tell anybody, but I didn't graduate medical school. But I hope, I'm promising it's going to work out. You would run out of the room in the business world. Promises don't mean anything. It's preparation and follow through. We have to prepare. Can you imagine if a high state football coach is saying this year, this year, we're going to promise to win. We're going to vow to do our best, but we are not going to practice, condition, or run plays. He would be fired in 30 seconds. It is preparation. You know why? Because every coach knows. Every coach knows that you don't promise to win games. You prepare to win. 
And it's true in relationships. Here's the challenge, though. For some reason, we just don't teach this in culture. Nobody does, except the person we're going to lean into today. We're told, if you just find the right person, because somewhere there's out there that right person that's going to make everything right, and you make a real strong promise, you'll be fine. But you know this. I do does not equal I can. I do does not equal I can. Have you ever been to a wedding? I'm guessing you have. Where you watch them give their vows to one another and they wrote them themselves and they put some lines from a song in their vows and they put a poem in there and they even quoted some scripture and it was so beautiful and so wonderful and you were just tempted to lean over to the person you're with and going, they're not gonna make it. I can just tell you, they're not gonna make it. Have you ever thought that at a wedding? And the reason you thought that is because they haven't dealt with their baggage, they haven't got healthy, they have been on a dating track where it's this person and this person and this person, in and out, and all these things, and they never got to the place where they're healthy. And then the party was great. I mean, I love a good party, you know, a little bit of drinks and some food and some dancing. I mean, I'm all there. You invite me to that and it's free. I'm going to come and hang out with you. But it will not make for a great marriage because saying I do does not make you able to do. It doesn't make you capable. What it does is it makes you accountable. And what I'm about to read to you next was worth the price of a mission that should be a warning to every person, including me, in the room. And if you're not married, I hope you pay special attention to this. Because when you're accountable, but you're not capable, you are miserable. And there's a whole bunch of married people in the room that could attest to that. Because I'm accountable for something that I can't do. And now I just got to live in misery. And I don't know how to dig myself out. I don't know how to make it better. And I am stuck. Now the next thing I'm going to say to you, I'm going to show you. I mean, I, I hope you're just, again, in awe of my amazing intellect. I'm like, when I'm going to say next comes off the stage, you're going to think, no one has ever been as smart as our lead pastor at LifeHouse. You're going to be blown away. You ready for this? Let me, let me read this to you. If you're not preparing, you won't be prepared. Is that not brilliant? I mean, come on. A five-year-old could have come up with that today. But it's true, isn't it? If you're not preparing now, you will not be prepared when you get there. And I want you to be prepared. I want you to walk into a marriage that you're prepared and you're not settling for anything less than another person is prepared also. And here's the deal. If you're married... This is the strategy for marriages that are messed up in our culture. Here's what we're going to do. We're, our marriage is in trouble. We're suffering. We're not happy. So here's our strategy. We're just going to fall in love again. That's our strategy. What are you going to do to fix your marriage? We're going to fall in love again. So we're going to go on a vacation to resort for seven days and fall in love in Mexico. And I'm all for resorts and vacation. We were in Mexico a couple weeks ago. It was a spectacular but that's not how you fall in love. That's not the answer, but that's what our culture says is the answer. Now here's the good news. If I've got everybody really depressed on the same page, right? There is a way forward through this and it centers on the message of Jesus. This is what we believe in our church. This is what I think every Christian should believe. That when you follow Jesus, he makes your life better and makes you better at life. Now sometimes when I say that, People criticize me for it because they think like it's all about you and Jesus is just all about you and you're not about Jesus. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Jesus gave his life so we could be forgiven. Jesus is the one that came up with what relationships should look like and what marriage is and he defined it all. Why wouldn't that make our lives better as we implement his ways into our lives? Because when you follow Jesus, 
You become the person. This is a really important deal just to hang here for a minute. It's not the person you're going to meet. It's you become the person. Have you ever run into somebody from your past and they were kind of a mess in their past and they were kind of a disaster and you ran into them and now they're kind of put back together and their eyes are clear and their heart is full and you're like, what happened to you? And they're like, ah, it was Jesus. And there's more of the explanation than that, but that's the simple explanation. I didn't meet some new guy or some new girl. I met Jesus and I became someone new. See, following Jesus, it puts you in a place to become the kind of person, and this is the huge crutch statement for this morning, you're looking for is looking for. And what if that was our mentality, that I was going to be the person that I am looking for is looking for? Now, we got a lot of this content and this thought process from Andy Stanley, who put this kind of together. And Andy tells a story that when he was, you know, thinking through this, he, he gathered up a whole bunch of single 20-some-year-olds and was talking through their struggles. He said, when I was talking with this group about this, this young gal in her 20s was telling me the story of sitting in her bedroom with her mom one day. And her mom's just ironing away, doing whatever mom does, ironing and taking care of stuff. And she said, I was telling my mom about this guy who was so cute and he was so smart. He had integrity, he was honest, and he was a Jesus follower. And he, she said, Mom, he's your kind of Jesus follower. He's all in for Jesus. And she said, Andy, I just went on and on and on about this boy. And finally, my mom set the iron down and she sat down next to me and she looked at me with compassion and love in her eyes and said to me, the problem is that kind of young man is not looking for a young woman like you. And she told the story of how her heart was completely broken that day. But it was also the day she decided to write a better story because she wanted to be the kind of person, the person she was looking for, was looking for. And you may hear that and go, that's way too harsh, that's way too mean. No, that's what a mom that loves her daughter tells her daughter out of love to help her understand this is how you get to where you want to go because we have tried every other avenue, haven't we? This is the truthful direction you need to go. So here's the question. For all the single people in the room and all the single people online are, you the person, the person you're looking for, is looking for. And if you would say, no, I'm not, there is hope because you can move to that place. And Jesus would say, follow me and I will help you get to that place. And if you're married, maybe this is your version. Are you still the person they were looking for, is looking for? Are you still moving in the direction of becoming the person God wants you to be. And if you don't believe in God, this is an invitation. Or for us married people, has life and money and kids and stuff gotten in the way of you becoming the person God's called you to be and that you were becoming. And this is where when Jesus steps onto the pages of history, it's unimaginable. And you gotta know the context. Slavery was everywhere 
If you owned a bike, you most likely owned a sleigh. That's how common, well, they didn't own bikes that long back, but that's, that's how common it was back in the day. Women were treated as objects. There was no intrinsic value put on women by men 2,000 years ago. And that's wrong, and I'm glad we're moving way far away, I hope, from that. Prostitution in Jesus' day was rampant. Roman men went to prostitutes as birth control because they didn't want their wives having more kids, so they had to split the inheritance in more directions. And so prostitution, which is awful, was just rampant. And Jesus steps on the pages of history, and he introduces a brand new relational paradigm, and it's a game changer. And it changed people in the first century. It literally changed the entire Roman Empire, and it changed the world. And this new relational paradigm, it was simple and it was compelling, but it was demanding. And this is interesting that you can have something that's simple and demanding at the same time. I would argue you can't have something that's demanding without being simple because we cloud it up and we make it too complicated, but it's also rewarding. And I want to step out for just a second and say this, because I didn't say this in the first service and I've thought about it since then. You may hear what I'm about to say today, or have already heard, and you're like, listen, I'm not coming back. This is too hard. This is, it may be true, but it's too hard because it's too demanding. And Jesus would say, yeah, it is demanding, but it's rewarding, and it's a life changer, and I'm inviting you to be part of it. And some of you might say, this is just like too good to be true what you hear next And I would remind you that Jesus died, but he rose from the dead to tell us, I am who I said I was, and I can do what I said I could do. And for some of you that, that, like, you're not sure you believe, you may want this to be true even though you don't believe in Jesus when you hear what we're about to talk about. It's so good. So Jesus is about to march to the cross and give his life, and he gathers his guys up. And you know how this is when you have something really important you want people to know? It's like when you drop your kids off at college and you tell them those last four or five things, do not forget, don't forget, don't forget, right? Jesus gives his followers marching orders. And it's a little bit hard for us to understand 2,000 years later, but they understood it perfectly. Jesus says this, and John, one of his followers, said, Jesus told us that night that I am the true vine. And my father is the gardener. And whenever Jesus told these parables, there was always a God piece, a Jesus piece, and an us piece. And Jesus is a vine, and his father's a gardener. Okay, they got that, Jesus. So God's gardening. He's doing something in us, right? Jesus goes, yeah, that's what he's doing. He, God, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. This is all about staying connected to God and Jesus. It bears no fruit. He goes on. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Now pause for a minute because every person in here bears fruit of some kind. And God is in the good fruit bearing business. But we all bear fruit. You know what the fruit of our lives is? It's our reputation. And you know this, in all of our worlds, sometimes we have a good reputation, sometimes we have a bad reputation, sometimes it's in between. The fruit of our lives is the outcome of our decisions. It's the stories we love to tell, it's the stories we hope no one tells. That's the fruit of our lives. It's how we have lived in our brokenness or in our healthiness, in our debt, in our habits, and all of us, including me, we have a wake of fruit that is behind us. And sometimes it's good and sometimes it's not so good, but that's the fruit of our lives. And Jesus says, allow me to bear fruit in you. 
And this language, it's so relational. And he just simply says, guys, remain in me. Stay with me. Stay connected to me as I also remain in you. Stay close. Why? He says, because no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. And we all know this. It's spring in Ohio. If you have a yard, we've been out in our yard picking up dead branches, right? Because when a branch breaks off a tree, it's over. It's dead. And Jesus says, no, you got to stay connected to the vine, to the main source. Now, here's the application. And he's saying this to Matthew and John and Andrew. He looks at him and says, neither, like that dead branch, neither can you bear fruit unless you remain close to me. Stay connected and I will do something in you that's amazing because I, I'm the vine, I'm the alive part of your life. You are the branches. This is what he's talking about. If, he goes on, you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Married people, married people. If you've ever been in a place in your marriage where it just feels hopeless and you've been trying, 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 but you haven't brought Jesus into the middle of your marriage and you both don't jump on the Jesus train, it it feels like you can't get anything right, doesn't it? What Jesus' promises is if you remain in me, I can do something in you that is good. It's really good. It's why the past has to be dealt with. And you run into that person that they're so different because they met Jesus. And it's not like they said, well, I'm different because I decided to do five things in my life and I accomplished them and I got these five things and now my life is different. The story is so similar every time. Yeah, I started going to church and I started reading the scriptures. I didn't understand all the scriptures, but I started reading them. And I started to hang out with other people that were following Jesus and I saw how they lived their life and their marriages and all that thing. And one, one day I woke up and I just decided... I'm falling in love with Jesus, and now I'm going to follow Jesus, and I became different. We've heard that story so many times around here. Jesus goes on. He says, as my Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Wait a minute, Jesus, now we're talking about love. I thought we were talking about fruit and vines. It's all the same thing because we're producing love in our lives. And he says, now, remain in my love. It's the same as the vine and the branches. You have to stay connected. And here's the surprise. And here may be what frustrated his followers. He says this, if you keep my commands. And when he said the word commands, they probably felt like you feel. Like, oh, I got more commands. I grew up in church and all I ever heard were rules and commands. Rules and commands. Thou shall not. You remain in my Love. Now you change it, Jesus. It's the old bait and switch. I thought we were talking about love and better relationships and a better life, and now you just want me to have more commands. Because there's the Ten Commandments, I can't do those, and there's 600 more on top of that, and I can't do all those. And now you're going to pile on more, but you, you are Jesus. You walked on water, so we're going to do it, because you're Jesus. Tell them, guys, get your pen and paper. This is going to take a long time. Write them down. Tell us, Jesus. And he just simply says this. My singular command is this. Love each other. Now you need to know, this was not new. They had heard this their whole life. And in our culture, this is becoming a theme with all the mess in our world. Is hey, we got to love each other. we got to love each other. But you know this, everybody has a version or a filter of how you're supposed to love each other, no matter where you are, politically, socially, environmentally. We all have what love looks like. But Jesus would give such a specific kind of love that they would never forget. 
said, I want you to love each other as I, this is the game changer, guys, as I have loved you. And they kind of knew what he meant by that. But a few days later, he would put on such a demonstration of love, it would take their breath away when he died on the cross because it took his breath away. And it would be a kind of love that you do not find on Netflix and you don't find on The Bachelor and you don't find in a romance novel and it's kind of love that doesn't make songs sell in our culture because it would be kind of love that lays down your life for people and it forgives unconditionally and it defers to them over your wants and needs and this is the kind of love that Jesus said, this is the love that will change the world, change your future relationships and your current marriage relationships. It's simple but it's demanding. It's simple because it's so clear, but it's demanding because it will cause you to change everything in your life. St. Augustine said this years ago. He said, love and do what thou wilt. This is so dangerous for a pastor to say out loud. You know what St. Augustine was saying? Love and do whatever you want. Love like Jesus and do whatever you want because when you love like Jesus, you will not cheat on your wife. And you will not cheat on your future wife. And you will have integrity and you will care for people because that is how Jesus loved. When you get this right, this Jesus love thing, it guides everything. When this becomes the compass of your life and the filter of your life, it changes your behavior and how you act and how you spend your money. This becomes the grid of being a Jesus follower. And when you love like this, this is how you become a person worth looking for. And my guess is if you're single in here today, you want to be a person worth looking for. And if you're married, this is how you stop. Married people, come on, let me, let me just speak to you for a second. Single people, forget everything I'm about to say, but married people, here. You get to stop trying to force your husband or your wife into who you want them to be with all the manipulating and the conforming and the pushing and why can't you just, and you just get to let that go. It's so freeing, it's peace. And you get to love like Jesus loved because it never works to force someone to be who you want them to be anyway. And Jesus would say, when you love like this, my burden is light, my yoke is not heavy and there'll be peace for your soul. And again, when two people embrace this, there's nothing they can't do. It takes two, but there's nothing they can't do to find an incredible relationship together. This is how you become a person worth staying for or staying with. It's how you commit to your future, and it's how you stay in the present, and it makes all your relationships better when you're moving in the same direction with someone. But you gotta know this, that the kind Next slide. The kind of person Jesus leads his followers to become is the kind of person we are all ultimately looking for and ultimately want to be. So if you want to find that person, you've got to be the person that person is looking for. And when you open the pages of the New Testament, there's all this life change where people discovered how to live like Jesus, and it changed their world. I am a product of that kind of love in my life by my parents. I ascribe to it because I saw it, and I saw it work. Now, I have to say this. When I talk about love changing our lives in this way, I get criticized sometimes about it from other religious people. 
I mean, people would say, all you do at LifeHouse is you talk about love. I mean, what do your staff do at LifeHouse? They just sit together, around together, and smoke weed and talk about love. Is that what you do at LifeHouse? Is that the dude? And some of you are like, I want on staff at LifeHouse. No, that's not, it's not what we do at LifeHouse. But the reason, I don't know how to say this and be kind. The reason I don't think people get this is they don't understand how demanding love is. Because it demands everything. And you got to come back the next two weeks. This is a six-week series, but you got to come back the next two weeks. In the next two weeks, we're going to talk about the fine print. Because there's always fine print. There's fine print of this love, and we're going to walk through what the fine print looks like. But the fine print in the next two weeks will make you fine. And it will make you a person worth finding and keeping, no losing and less weeping in your life. Not because I came up with it, it's because Jesus came up with it. And he created us. So I'm going to ask you to engage. I know for some of you this has been a hard message because you're like, I fit in a lot of those categories, Matt. Yeah, I have at times in my life too. And we're working through this together. So come back. But before you, before you think about loving other people in this way, you just need to know you can't love other people in this way until you have received the immense love of your heavenly Father, who through Jesus and gave his life on a cross loved you like no one has ever loved you. And if you're thinking, I just can't go home to my spouse and love this way, or I can't love my future spouse so much, I'm going to stop doing what I'm doing. This is all I want for you today. I want you to understand the depth of God's love for you, his overwhelming love for you. Because when we're filled with that, it starts to flow out of it. It's that whole abide in me, be close to me, be connected to me. And so for the next few minutes, I don't want you to feel guilt. I don't really need you to feel any shame. I just want you to know God loves you because it's what will change you. So you will be changed and become the person you're looking for, is looking for. So we're going to sing this song we've sung for a lot of years, and I hope it just washes over you in the most powerful, strong way. But first, let me pray for you, can I? Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us a way through the messes of this world in a way that's better than the messes of this world. And I hope and I pray that we all would hang on to this. The people that believe in you, Jesus, and the people that are not even ready to believe they can believe in you but that love would make the difference. Your kind of sacrificial lay down my life for someone else kind of love. And I pray as we sing this song, we'd be reassured that that kind of love can exist in our very lives because of what you did on the cross for us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.